Hey folks, Andy Patton here back from the Moda Center. It was not the prettiest first 30 minutes for the Zags against a under Georgia State Panthers team, but they still managed to pull off a 21-point victory to move to the round of 32 and a matchup against the Memphis Tigers. We're going to recap the game and talk about what needs to be different for the Zags on Saturday, all right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to take you through another season of Gonzaga Hoops. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Bet BetOnline has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. I also want to thank all of you who make this podcast your first listen of the day, and those of you who have checked the show out on YouTube. If you have not done so yet, just go to youtube.com, search Locked On Zags, hit that subscribe button, trying to get to 500 subscribers before the end of the NCAA tournament. We are well on our way, but could use your help. The Zags, it wasn't the prettiest game, but the Zags did prevail. They are moving on to the round of 32 after defeating the Georgia State Panthers by a score of 93-72 to on Thursday afternoon at the Moda Center in Portland, Oregon. This is more than we can say for some other teams. For those of you who are not paying attention to the rest of the tournament, Kentucky lost to St. Peter's, a very devastating loss for Coach Calipari. So at the end of the day, a win is a win. The Zags are moving on for, I believe, the 13th consecutive year of avoiding a first-round loss. This was not a pretty game. It was was not a pretty game. The first half in particular was U-G-L-Y ugly for the Zags. They were only up 35 to 33. It was kind of a miracle that they were even winning at all. They were horrific from the free throw line. They were horrific from the three-point line. I believe they were two for 11 from three. I believe they were five for 15 from the free throw line. Some just horrendous numbers from the Zags. They could not buy a bucket. They they were fortunate that they weren't turning the ball over a lot. They defensively looked lethargic, sloppy on defense, sloppy on offense. The refs were calling a ton of foul. It was a very, very uniquely officiated game. There would be instances where the refs would swallow their whistles somewhat significantly. There would be a lot of very ticky-tack calls called away from the basket. It was very difficult to get a read on, on what kind of game the referees were attempting to make this, which was a challenge that both teams faced. It wasn't particularly egregious one way or another. Uh, it was fortunate for the Zags that they, they were able to withstand the physicality and Georgia State got themselves in a ton of foul trouble. They lost their starting center in the first half to an injury. So that coupled with foul trouble really allowed Drew Timmy to shine. Uh, the Zags, again, only up two at halftime, allowed Georgia State to hang with them for the first 10 minutes of the second half. The Zags were staring at a five or six point game with about five or or seven or eight minutes to go. Fortunately, they then went on a 21 to nothing run. We've talked about runs on this podcast before. It is a huge part of what makes Gonzaga successful. Three teams in the country that have the best ability to go on these quick 10 nothing spurts are Gonzaga, Arizona, and Houston. Gonzaga, of course, 
was able to do that here. A double spurt, a 21 nothing run. Absolutely incredible for the Zags, uh, mostly on the back of Drew Timmy. He had such a monstrous game. The free throw shooting was obviously an issue. He was very frustrated with himself after the first half where he was really not putting the ball through the net, but he rebounded in a tremendous way in the second half, finished this game with 32 points, 13 rebounds, two assists for the big man, 13 of 21 from the field. So we talk about a, not a very good free throw shooting day and he's six for 13, which is not a good free throw shooting day. There's not really any other way to cut that up, but 13 for 21 from the field, really nice night from him was establishing low post position extremely well, had a variety of post moves for most of the game. Georgia state was not doubling him. They finally realized late in the second half that they needed to start doing that. He started moving the ball around a little bit more and of course, that's kind of where where Gonzaga's offense really thrives is when Drew Timmy can facilitate things from the post. He gets the ball and then things start moving, whether it's him going one on one, whether it's him drawing a double team, kicking it out. And then the Zags can start moving the ball. Georgia State, any any team really defensively has a hard time recovering all the way because of Gonzaga's quick ball movement. They know where their players are going to be. They know when to make the right cuts and everything. That's when you started to see the offense really start clicking along. Beyond Drew Timmy, obviously he gets the first nod, 32 points. He's the only player in Gonzaga school history to have two 30-point games in the NCAA tournament. He's it. He's the entire list. The only other players to do it, I believe, are Richie Fromm, Adam Morrison, Brandon Clark. That's your list right there. And Drew Timmy, who's now done it twice. An incredible accomplishment for him, solidifying himself as one of the greatest Gonzaga basketball players in the history of the program, uh, were he to return for another year or were he to win a national championship or both, if that were to happen, I think you would have a very hard time not picking him as the number one overall player in Gonzaga history. This game really helped establish why he is so critical to this team and this program. And then you have Chet Holmgren, an, in, an incredible, incredible game for Chet Holmgren. 19 points, 17 rebounds, seven blocks, five assists, two steals, zero turnovers. I do not know if there is anything left to say about Chet Holmgren that has not already been said. This stat line is obscene. It is absolutely absurd to be able to put up nearly 20-20 with seven blocks, five assists, zero turnovers. He was eight for 13 from the field, three of five from the free throw line, 0 for two from three, which is about the only thing that you can reasonably complain about for Chet Holmgren's game is that he did not knock down a three-pointer, but he only took two. It was not a huge part of the game plan in general for Gonzaga today. They did not need him to do that. He was poking the ball away. He was getting out in transition. He was dunking on dudes either in transition or just in half court sets. He was getting offensive rebounds. He, like I said, blocked seven shots, just an incredible dominant performance from Chet Holmgren. The, the fact that there is still a negative discourse about him in any capacity is astounding to me. I do not understand. I, I was going to say, I do not understand how, if you watch Chet Holmgren play, you can think that there, that there's still some concerns about his physicality or concerns about whether he would hold up against bigger players or not. I think that the reason that those concerns are still put out there on the internet is because people are not watching Chet Holmgren. That has to be the assumption because if you watch him, there is no way to realistically think that there's any concern about his skill level or his ability to play at this level or at the next level or at any level. He's an absolute machine. Had an incredible game here. First NCAA tournament game. 
did not look worried, concerned, nervous, none of that. Played a phenomenal game for the Zags. Huge part of the reason that they ended up coming out of this game with a victory. Andrew Nembhard deserves some love as well. He, I would be remiss if I did not bring him up in a post-game press conference. A reporter asked Andrew Nembhard a question about Drew Timmy and Chet Holmgren, and those two players were very, very quick to give praise to Nembhard himself. He deserved it. Nine points, 11 assists, six rebounds, and a steal in this one. He also went three for five from downtown. The Zags did not have the outside shooting in this one really at all, but Nembhard knocked down three key threes. One of them was kind of what spurned that 21 nothing run in the second half, a huge shot for him. Just an incredible performance once again. He's the best point guard in the country. There are other great guards out there. Do not get me wrong. Jaden Ivey, Colin Gillespie, Severe, Wheelie, Ty, Severe Wheeler, excuse me, Ty Ty Washington. A lot of good, talented guards out there. Alondis Williams at Wake Forest. But Andrew Nembhard is the best point guard in the country. He showed why again today. 11 assists in this game. Some of them were just jaw-droppingly good passes to guys down low. An incredible game. Uh, there's other great performances. Roz Bolton had 10 points on 3 of 5 shooting. This is his first NCAA tournament game, a guy who's been in college basketball for a long time, played in a lot of power, multiple Power 5 programs, a lot of games against a lot of good teams, now gets the opportunity to play in March, responds with a really nice game for the Zags. Anton Watson had a great game coming off the bench as well. We've talked about Watson before. He seems to, to, to save his best performances for March, and he did that again in this one. All right, second segment, we're going to come back. We're going to review my five keys to this game. We're going to talk about how they went in the game against Georgia State, and we're going to kind of use these same keys as potential arguments for what the game could look like on Saturday and talk about what Gonzaga needs to do the same or differently when they take on the Memphis Tigers. Before we get there, though, let's talk about today's sponsor, Stat Hero. Stat Hero's NCAA single-game pickums pits the star players against each other in an amazing hybrid between fantasy and sports gambling. Take control back from those handicappers that always seem to have the advantage and start focusing on the players you know best with a gameplay that doesn't rely on big spreads, long odds, or funky props. Stat Hero gives you the advantage resulting in their gamers winning four times more often. Why? Because Stat Hero eliminates the mystery about who or what you're going up against. In addition to their pickums, they always have Dozens of lineups that you can comb through to take on head-to-head. -head. They simply post sets of players for you to take on with a set of players you choose. Stat Hero is the easiest and fastest way to get your sports action fixed. The simple, sleek gameplay will have you playing in minutes. This is what Daily Fantasy was meant to be. Sign up for free right now at stathero.com slash locked on and use promo code locked on for a 100% deposit match. That's stathero.com slash locked on, promo code locked on for a 100% match. All right, segment two, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags. We're still reviewing Gonzaga's NCAA tournament opener victory over the Georgia State Panthers in Portland on Thursday afternoon. We had five things to watch for in this game, five keys to the game. I want to talk about them, how they went in this game, and how they're going to potentially play out on Saturday against Memphis. The number one key, take care of the basketball. Georgia State was good at turning teams over. Memphis also pretty good at turning teams over. This was not an issue for the Zags in this game. They had plenty of other issues, particularly in the first half, uh, but this was not one of them. The Zags only had seven turnovers in this game. Three of them were by Andrew Nempard, which is a little uncharacteristic for him, but he also had the basketball in his hands a lot. So you can kind of forgive a guy for coughing it up a few times. Two from Roz Bolton, two from Drew Timmy. That's it. 
No turnovers from Julian Strother, no turnovers from Nolan Hickman, no turnovers from Chet Holmgren. Just those seven turnovers from those three guys. Really nice game. Now, Memphis, Memphis has more athleticism, they have more size, and they're very good at turning the basketball over. This is going to be a huge part of this game because Memphis is also turns the ball over a lot on offense. So whichever team is better at controlling the basketball, at, at controlling that tempo, is going to have a better chance of winning that game on Saturday. The number two key was don't force outside shots. I kind of think Gonzaga struggled with this a little bit. One of the things we talked about was, was demanding the ball down low. Chet Holmgren drew Timmy touched the ball every single possession against this Georgia State team. They were not good at stopping teams from scoring in the paint going into the game. They were not very good. They were better at, at defending the three-point line. So there's no reason for the Zags to get too complacent and take a bunch of threes. We kind of saw that from them early. Drew Timmy took an early three, which is never a good idea. He did not knock it down. Chet Holmgren took some early threes. Uh, Bolton and Strother took some early threes. They ended up finishing the game five for 18, which is it's obviously not good. It's not horrible. Uh, they didn't take too many by the end of the game because what happened is in the second half, they realized we should not be doing anything other than putting the ball in Drew Timmy's hands. And that's what they did. <laughs> so that's what happened in the second half is they just, they stopped settling for outside shots. They demanded the ball go down low. Drew was either getting buckets or getting fouled or both. Chet Holmgren was either getting buckets or getting fouled or both. And they just kind of went away from the perimeter game. Eventually, as I kind of mentioned in the first segment, once, the, once Georgia State started double teaming, Drew Timmy started kicking the ball out. Then you started seeing a few more threes go up. Andrew Nembhard hit a big one in the second half kind of through that way. But I would like to not see Gonzaga rely too much on just settling for outside shots. It's harder to do when you're fatigued, which could be this, the case on Saturday after playing a game on Thursday. Uh, for Memphis, they're probably going to try to get Gonzaga to beat them from the outside. They want to do everything they can to not let Drew Timmy and Chet Holmgren beat them around the rim. That's very difficult to stop Gonzaga from beating you around the rim, but if they can pack it in really tight and force Gonzaga to shoot a lot of threes, that could be a situation that, that kind of rears its ugly head. I expect, you know, Julian Strother had a bad game here. He, he just didn't show up one for three from the, or one for four from the field. Um, it was part of a, a group that went 0 for 7 from 3 between Strother, Chet, and Nolan Hickman. Uh, I expect Strother to bounce back. I expect him to have a pretty big game against Memphis. We, we rarely see him struggle two games in a row. Uh, so I think he's going to be a big factor in that Memphis game. Uh, and if he can stretch it out and, and shoot well from the perimeter, it puts a strain on Memphis's defense that I think is going to be paramount for them winning that game. And then the next thing was get out in transition. Uh, Georgia State did a good job of preventing Gonzaga from getting out in transition, which was surprising because they were also very good on the offensive glass. Doing both of those things in the same game is hard. One of the things we saw from St. Mary's and San Francisco and a couple other teams in the WCC regular season was they just they did not attempt to get offensive rebounds. As soon as the shot went up, they just hightailed it back onto the defensive end of the floor, which completely eliminated Gonzaga's ability to get out in transition. Georgia State still managed to slow Gonzaga down in transition quite a bit, but they did it while also rebounding really well on the offensive glass. This is this is nothing more than credit to the Panthers of Georgia State, who played a good game, who are a good team, who deserve to be higher than a 16 seed. They had the ability to take those two things away from Gonzaga. Of course, Gonzaga found a way to completely dominate in the half court, which meant that the transition was just not as relevant of a part of the game. So kudos to Mark View and Gonzaga and Drew Timmy for really kind of handling that part of the game, but still a, a nice job by Georgia State from taking away a part of Gonzaga's game that has often helped lead them to victory. Memphis, very different team. 
34th in the country in tempo, according to Ken Palm. This is a team that's going to get out and run. Not a lot of teams try to run with Gonzaga. Fewer teams have any success running with Gonzaga. It will be very interesting to see how that goes against Memphis. And then the next key for this game was a monster night from Chet Holmgren. Boy, howdy, did we get that. Again, 19-17, 7-5, and two steals with no turnovers. Just an absolutely dominant game from Chet Holmgren. We already talked about it in the first segment. There's not a whole lot more to add here other than he's going to need to be really good again on Saturday against Jalen Duran, who's very, very good for Memphis, a potential lottery pick in the NBA draft, 6'10 guy, moves really, really well, very fluid athlete, good low post score, good defensive player. Uh, it's going to be a really nice matchup between him and Chet, and I'm excited to see how that shakes out between those two guys because I think it's going to be perhaps the biggest storyline uh, in that game between Gonzaga and Memphis. And then the last key for the Zags in this game was bench production. They got that in a major way. Anton Watson, 10.6 boards off the bench, four of nine shooting. He was great defensively, had a strip on his first possession, played phenomenal defense in the post, played good defense away from the rim. Really, really nice night from Watson. Hunter Salas had a good game as well, five points, two rebounds, one assist. For him, he did suffer from some foul trouble. A lot of them were really ticky-tack. It felt like he was getting shafted by the referees more than almost anybody else on Gonzaga's roster. So that was a bit of a bummer for him. But when he was on the floor, he was backdoor cutting. He was opening up the offense. He was a menace on defense, as he always is. Uh, a really, really nice game from him. And, and, and Nolan Hickman only had two points on one of four shooting, which I know is not uh, going to stand out too much on the box score. But he played great defense as well. He also had three rebounds and a blocked shot. Just a nice night from Nolan Hickman. And the bench production is going to be a huge part of the game against Memphis. It is hard to play two games in three days. Gonzaga has done it before, and they have been successful doing it before, so it's not a deal breaker. Obviously, Memphis is going to go, going to go through the same thing as well. But for the Zags, they play a tight eight-man rotation. You really want to get solid, long stretches of minutes from all three of these guys in order for your team to not get too gassed down the stretch. So Watson, Hickman, Salas is going to be a huge part of the puzzle on Saturday against the Tigers. All right, two segments down. We're going to come back in the third segment. We're going to dig a little deeper into Memphis, what this game could end up looking like on Saturday. But before we get there, let's talk about Bill Barr. This is the time of the year that I've pretty much given up on all of my New Year's resolutions, but not this year. I'm sticking to my resolution to eat right thanks to Bilt Bar. It almost feels like it's not really a resolution because I actually enjoy eating them. Have you tried the Puffs? If you haven't, you're missing out on one of Bilt Bar's best tasting bars. Puffs are the first ever protein-infused marshmallow. They're fluffy, they're marshmallowy, they're not just a protein bar, they're a treat. And they're covered in 100% real chocolate. In fact, all Bilt Bars are covered in 100% real chocolate. A typical candy bar can be anywhere from two to 300 calories. Most Bilt Bars contain 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. They have mint brownie, coconut, coconut almond, and new for this month, white chocolate cookies and cream. They are all delicious, and new flavors are coming out all the time. Go to Bilt.com, use promo code LOCKED15, and get 15% off your order. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Bilt.com. Today's episode is also sponsored by BetOnline. There might be less football being played, but BetOnline.net has way more stuff to bet on this playoff season. From scores, totals, and player performance props to where the next fired coach is going to land, BetOnline is the number one spot for all things NFL betting in 2022. And it's not just football. BetOnline.net's basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC odds coverage is the best in the business. 
from sports right down to your favorite Vegas casino games, BetOnline is your number one online wagering destination. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all of your favorite sports and play your favorite games. All right, segment three, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags, still talking NCAA tournament, moving on to the second round where the Zags will take on Penny Hardaway's Memphis Tigers. Memphis defeated Boise State in the first game of the day in Portland. It was a 64-53 to game. I want to talk a little bit about what happened in that game and then give another, a bit more brief overview of who Memphis was. We talked about them at length on Wednesday's episode in the second segment there. So go back, check that out as well. We're going to talk a little bit about who they are, what kind of team they are. Uh, the first, first of all, though, I want to talk about this game against Boise State. Uh, they dominated the first half of this game. Absolutely dominated. They were up 38 to 19 at halftime against Leon Rice's Boise State Broncos. Held Boise State to 19 points. Now, Boise State is not a good offensive team. They were not a particularly good offensive team throughout the season. They got to where they were based on the strength of their defense. Uh, but but still, 19 points is not going to get it done. Credit to Penny's def- def- defense on, for Memphis. They had a great defensive stand in this game. Uh, they've been a great defensive team all year long. So it's not entirely surprising that this game was not a very high-scoring one. Uh, but still, to, to double up Boise State in the first half was a pretty, pretty big message sent by Penny uh, and his team. But... Things fell apart in the second half. They only scored 26 points in the second half. 26 points. That's not going to get it done. You score 26 points and a half against Gonzaga, you are done. It is not going to work. They had an eight-minute stretch in the second half of this game without scoring a bucket. Now, Gonzaga had a similar stretch in their game against Georgia State. Sometimes it happens. NCAA tournaments bring out things like this for people, getting used to a new court, getting used to a a big fan base, the pressure of the NCAA tournament, all of that stuff. But eight-minute stretch for Memphis without a single bucket. This is also, for Gonzaga, it was very unusual that that happened. For Memphis, not as unusual. They kind of do this. This is a team that doesn't play a full 40 minutes all that often. It's part of the reason that they were a disappointment this season. This is a team that was nationally ranked going into the not like it was a horrible year for them, but they did not reach those expectations. Many of the players on the roster did not reach the expectations that they had individually for them. Uh, and, and it was these kind of lull periods that really hurt them a lot. But they ended up finishing this game one by 11 points. Jalen Duran had 10 points, 11 boards, only four of 11 shooting. He got really flustered by Boise State's defense. Now he gets to go up against Chet Holmgren and Gonzaga's defense, probably Anton Watson when Chet is not in the game. That is not an easy assignment for him on either end of the floor. He's going to have to shoot better than four for 11 for Memphis to secure a victory in this one. DeAndre Williams is their other front court player. He had a great game, 14 points on seven of eight shooting. Uh, and again, for Memphis, for just like most of the NCAA, the guard play is just a little bit suspect. I think that's going to be where Gonzaga has a big advantage. Obviously, Chet Holmgren and Drew Timmy are better than just about every front court in the NCAA, but in, oftentimes this year, Gonzaga's biggest advantage is in the guards with Andrew Nempard, with Roz Bolton, with a, a rebound from Julian Strother in this game would be a huge, huge part of this contest. A couple other things to note on 
the Memphis Tigers, uh, again, super athletic. Lester Quinone's great guard play. I know I mentioned the guard play being suspect. He's the big key for them. If he has a nice game, that's going to put a lot more pressure on Gonzaga. Uh, they're a 36% three-point shooting team. Three-point shooting, always a big key in March if they can shoot it well from beyond the arc. Stretch out Gonzaga's defense, potentially pull Chet Holmgren away from the rim. Now, Duran is not an outside shooter, so that helps a little bit. But any ability they have to make it so that Chet Holmgren cannot live under the basket and alter shots around the rim is going to be good. They're also a good rebounding team. Mark Few mentioned after the game, he was asked about Memphis. He talked in his post-game presser about their rebounding ability. Georgia State out-rebounded Gonzaga for the first half. If Gonzaga gets out-rebounded by Memphis, they're going to be in a lot of trouble. That is a big strength for Memphis's team. And if they're able to do that and continually get second-chance opportunities on offense, limit Gonzaga's ability to get second-chance opportunities on their offensive end, that's going to be a problem for the Zags. That's a big thing to watch. They were 31st in the country in rebounds per game this year. That's a big thing to watch in this game. Beyond that, excellent defensively. Excellent. Fourth in the country in block rate, 20th in the country in steals rate. They force a ton of turnovers. They're going to block shots. They're going to get steals. They're going to force Gonzaga to make mistakes. All of these things are going to Gonzaga. They're going to have to deal with some of this stuff. Memphis is too athletic. They're too talented on the defensive end of the floor. They're going to cause some problems for Gonzaga. Now, offensively, Memphis is probably going to have some challenges of their own. They have the highest turnover rate in the country. Gonzaga, if they put pressure on them, if they utilize Hunter Salas well off the bench and he wreaks havoc on Memphis's guards just as soon as they cross half court, which is something we saw him do in the Georgia State game, if they use Anton Watson in some of those traps, they're going to get a lot of turnovers and they're going to need to turn those into buckets. If Gonzaga can get a lot of points off turnovers, get some easy transition opportunities that way, that's a huge advantage for them in this game. Beyond that, Memphis, not a good free throw shooting team. Free throw shooting was obviously not Gonzaga's strength uh, in their opener as well. That's any game that's relatively likely to be close. Free throw shooting is going to be a huge part of it. It's part of the reason Kentucky fell to St. Peter's. It's part of the reason Gonzaga was barely winning at halftime of their game. Uh, it's part of the reason Boise State did not win this game here as well. So that's going to be a factor for sure uh, is how these teams may, are able to contribute from the charity stripe. And then Memphis doesn't shoot a lot of threes. And I think that that's fine because they they have done a lot of their scoring in the paint. Gonzaga is not an easy team to score in the paint against. And if Memphis is unable to convert those points from the beyond the arc and they're not able to convert at as high of a rate as usual in the paint, which is likely going to be the case when you're going up against Chet Holmgren, uh, I can see that being a pretty big issue for Penny Hardaway's squad. I'm excited about this game. It's going to be fun to see the Jalen Duran versus Chet Holmgren matchup. Uh, Penny Hardaway's uh, had some success this year. They're, they're playing better as of late. Uh, it's going to be an exciting game. It's going to be fun to see two teams that play at top 40 tempos in the country getting out and running in transition. Uh, I think about it as I think some people are because Memphis has the ability to go through these deep lapses because I think Gonzaga got the kinks out in the game against Georgia State. I don't think we're going to see them play them. Any other point in this NCAA tournament, I think Memphis is going to give them a decent run, but I think ultimately the Zags are going to pull this one off and move on into the Sweet 16 yet again. Right. Closing out the week with a super exciting guest 
for Friday's show. So do not miss that. You got this show recapping the game. Friday, we got a guest. Saturday, we, of course, got the next game, and then we'll roll into next week. All right here on the Locked On Zags podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts, available on YouTube as well. Finally, thank you again for making Locked On Zags your first listen every day. Now is a great time to make your second listen, the Locked On NFL Draft podcast. Ryan Tracy and former NFL cornerback Eric Crocker bring the NFL Draft to life every day with insight and analysis on college football prospects and NFL front offices. It's free and available wherever you get podcasts. All right, thank you all for listening, and go Zags.